Now hear the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered, and others said, An angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And so Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Three months ago, on the last Sunday in Advent, we baptized Jude and Lila and Rosalie. And I spoke then about baptism from the practical, temporal perspective, the way that baptism forms us into the church, the way that the liturgical catechesis invites us to make the story of the gospel our own and the importance of prayer to strengthen and sustain us in our journey together as the body of Christ. Now today, on this fifth Sunday in Lent, as we approach that roller coaster ride of Holy Week, from the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, to his betrayal by one of his closest friends, to his suffering and death on the cross, and then to the glory of the resurrection, we once again gather to celebrate the sacrament of baptism. As we participate together in this holy sacrament, we enter into a sacramental reality, a place where our temporal existence brushes up against the eternal, a place where the practical yields to the mystical. And today I want to focus on the mystical and eternal aspects of baptism. This is always dangerous ground as we try to grasp mystery and describe what is beyond our understanding. And so I ask for grace, 
from you and from God as we explore this sacramental reality. The church describes the sacraments as outward and visible signs of an inward and spiritual grace. In this sacramental way, the physical encounter with water is also participation in a much greater spiritual encounter with grace. In like manner, our encounter with the physical elements of bread and wine are participation in the spiritual feast of the Lamb. And from our temporal perspective, the sacraments do indeed appear as outward and visible signs of an inward and spiritual grace. But let us allow our minds to consider this, not from our perspective, but from the eternal perspective. Let us explore our encounter with this inward and spiritual grace and see the sacraments as this inward and spiritual grace exploding into our outward and visible experience, scarcely able to be contained in the elegantly simple elements of water and bread and wine. In the sacraments, we participate with all the communion of saints as we join together in the eternal glory of the triune God. In this eternal manner, as we come to the font today with Katie and Jay and Johnny, we participate in our own baptism, in the baptism of all who have gone before us, and in the baptism of all who will come after us. We participate in the one eternal baptism into the death and resurrection of Christ. This is the sacramental reality, the sacramental mystery at the very heart of the church. I'm just really glad that we don't have to fully understand it to make it work. Indeed, we're not the ones that make this mystery work. But we do some things that prepare us and help us to be aware of God working in this mystical and eternal way. Things that prepare us to encounter the eternal, whether at the font or at the table. First and foremost, we show up. I think of it this way. If you call me and say, hey, meet me at Starbucks tomorrow morning at 9, I don't walk into Starbucks at 9 and see you and think that anything that I did made you appear there. In the same way, I don't sit in my comfy chair at home at 9 o'clock in the morning and wonder, hey, where are you? Just Jesus invites us to meet him at the font and at the table. And as we heard in our gospel reading, where I am, there will my servant be also. We should neither be surprised nor take credit when we find Jesus here. We show up and we participate. The liturgy, literally the work of the people, is the way that we learn to see and participate in the mystical and eternal work of God. The liturgy links our identity in Christ to the eternal glory of God. We heard from Jeremiah that beautiful promise that God would inscribe on our hearts the very essence of his holy character. That we would no longer need to look upon stone tablets, but we would truly be known and know God. This is the promise that is fulfilled in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and in the descent of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of God's very Spirit at Pentecost. This is the promise that is fulfilled in us as we are baptized 
into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And yet, and yet we so easily forget this promise as we are bombarded by the deceptions and idols of the world around us. Those whispers that ask, did God really say? Or they whisper, if you do this, you will be like God. If you do this, you will be enough, you will be accepted, you will be loved. I'm going to walk in my own baptismal promise to renounce the world, the flesh, and the devil and turn to Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I need to be reminded of what is really real. I need the liturgy to remind me that God does really say that I am loved, that I am enough, that I need nothing else. The liturgy frees us from the Cartesian deception by which humanity is tempted to usurp the name of God. We want to believe that our identity, purpose, and value lies between our ears. We want to believe that I think, therefore, I am. We want to accept the misnomer of homo sapiens, the thinking man claiming the name of wisdom apart from the divine. But in truth, we are homo adorans, the worshiping man. At the very core of our being, we still know that we must seek our identity, worth, and value in something that is greater than me, something greater than I. And so we find something to worship. We build idols and we construct ways of worshiping them. These always fall short and leave us broken and empty until we direct our worship at the one true God, the one who is the great I am, the one who gives us identity, worth, and value as his beloved children. By building a bridge, connecting our identity in Christ to the internal love and glory of God, the liturgy teaches us to become who we already are. Now, I use liturgy very inclusively. And while I love the liturgy that we use here, the story that it tells, the way that it shapes and forms us, it is indeed special and unique, but it is not exclusive. It is not the only way to worship. Whether they admit it or not, all churches have liturgies. The forms and patterns that guide them corporately into worship that invite them to encounter the love of God. You know, Jesus doesn't just meet us at Starbucks or gyms or tacos and salsa or even only at Chick-fil-A or at Holy Trinity or at the Baptist Church or the Lutheran Church or the Pentecostal Church or anywhere else that the people of God hear the word of God and participate in the work of God or as the prayer book says, where the word of God is faithfully preached and the sacraments duly administered. Where I am, there will my servants also be. We show up, we participate, and we yield to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls us to transformation. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, It bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Paul carries on this theme 
as he describes our participation in baptism. Paul writes, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, so each of you, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We heard in the letter to the Hebrews the echo of Jesus' own baptism, foretold in the psalm and repeated on the mountain, You are my son, today I have begotten you. This is the echo that we will hear again today as our temporal existence encounters eternity, as we come to the font, as we come to the table as we participate in the work of the people, as we yield to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, believing in the light that we might become children of light. In this sacramental reality, we will be with Jesus in the Jordan. We will be washed again in the waters of our own baptism. We will be with Johnny and Katie and Jay. We will hear the truth that sustains us. You are my beloved child, and I am well pleased. And in this sacramental reality, we will come to this table and we will be with Jesus and the twelve in that upper room. We will be with the church throughout the ages. We will indeed join our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. And we will hear those words of love that empower and sustain us. This is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood, which is shed that you might have life. May we indeed have the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts that are turned to God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.